Amen. Amen. How are you doing? You okay? We're okay. Feels like we're, we're sleepy. Uh, okay. I'm a little sleepy, but I'm going to push it through. So, all's, all's well. I just shovel mentally, so I'm, I was more awake than when I left. That was initially. And uh, it was quite a thing. Anyway, people, people drive really strangely when we get lots of snow. Do you notice this? I went to leave the house. I went around the block to, like, I kind of do this. I like to go around the block and just kind of see how it goes. And I got to this intersection that's not a four-way stop. It's two I was supposed to stop, and people, you know, were supposed to go correctly. And you know when it's like this, you kind of don't want to stop, right? And so you kind of, if someone's coming, you want them to go, so you can just kind of coast so you don't get stuck, right? Sort of, you know, blazing the trail. And uh, this car was convinced it was a four-way stop. And I am kind of rolling, hoping they just go, and they stop. They just stop right there. They're looking at me. Like, no, like, this is my neighborhood. I know where the stop signs are. You go. And finally, we can't really look at each other, right? There's snow blowing. I'm like, just, it's, you go for it, man. And finally they went, and I got around. I wasn't stuck, and I got around the block. And then, then we got in the van. This is my test run, right? Then we get in the van to actually leave, and it happened again. All the way to church, the exact same spot. It was hilarious. So we're here. Praise the Lord. And uh, watch the stop signs on your way home. Luke 9, we are in our third uh, meal, whereas we're going through the series on the, the meals that Jesus has uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Our third meal is a meal in the wilderness, it's not in a house. Three words, three points that I want to draw our attention to as we work through this passage, and this is kind of the outline of the sermon, if this is helpful for you. Uh, the first is hunger, hungry. The crowds are hungry, and there's a hunger to ask the question, who is Jesus? So we're going to explore that. Uh, second is the host. Uh, it's Jesus' response to the hunger of the people, both their physical hunger and their hunger for answers in life. So hunger, the host, and the third part is hospitality. The passage invites us into a way of living, to follow the way of Jesus. So hunger, host, and hospitality as we go through this. Does that make sense? You're good? We're good. Hunger. This text is full of people who are physically hungry, like thousands. But if you read the passage leading up to this, you'll find that people are hungry for answers, and they're looking for an answer to a particular question. And the question is, who is Jesus? Last week in chapter 7, uh, Mitch preached, if you remember, he did such a great job, and, and Jesus forgives a sinful woman in that story. And one of the questions that's left hanging is the Pharisees around the table are going, well, what is he doing? is who is this who forgives sin? Who is this? If you were to read chapter 8, you'd read the story of the disciples in a boat, a storm comes up, uh, they're lost in the storm on the sea, and Jesus wakes up, gets up, and calms the storm, and the, Jesus asks, uh, the disciples ask, who is this who can calm the storm? So you have, who is this who forgives sins? Who is this that commands the water and the waves and they obey him? And then in chapter 9 here, did you notice Luke gives us a little insight to what's going on in Herod's mind? And Herod's asking, who is this? Who is this I'm hearing things about? He's just killed John the Baptist and now he's, he's curious about who this new traveling preacher is. So the Pharisees are asking it, the disciples are asking it, Herod's asking it. They're all hungry for an answer to the question, who is this? 
Who's Jesus? And Luke intentionally leaves the question hanging because he wants you as a reader to ask the same question. He wants you to deal with that question as well. Who is Jesus? We're invited into that questioning. That's an important question, folks, because the answer to that question will determine the course of your life. If you say, well, he's a good moral leader, but he's certainly not God, then you will likely find some wisdom for life, golden rule, maybe, some things Jesus said that you kind of pick up and go, yeah, that makes sense. But doing that, saying Jesus is just a good moral teacher, won't deal with the problem of evil, and it won't save you from death. In 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, whatever it'll be, you'll be six feet under, and that'll be the end of it. You can also choose to ignore Jesus entirely and say, well, he's a Jewish man, 2,000 years ago, nothing to do with my own life, not worth my time, certainly not worth my devotion. And our Western culture, folks, has leaned more and more into that. We call it secularism or secular humanism. Uh, you can see the results of that probably any time you check the news or uh, see people ranting on Facebook about things that are going on, whatnot. You can see what happens when we lose a moral compass as a society and we gravitate, frankly, towards violence and hatred and oppression and injustice. That's what happens when you remove any kind of standard of living and say, well, we'll just do whatever we want as long as no one gets hurt, and pretty soon we're all getting hurt. The fact is we can't save ourselves because we're the problem. So we can't afford not to ask this question, who is Jesus? And I would suggest that rather than supplying our own answers to that, why not look at what Jesus himself does and see who he believes himself to be and go with that? What does he do? Does he actually answer the question that everyone has on their minds? So that's the question that, that people are coming into chapter 9 with. They're hungry for the answer. And then we get to, to 9, verse 12. So open your Bibles and be close up. Uh, keep, keep your Bibles open. Luke 9, verse 12. The day began to wear away. The disciples came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. So Jesus is teaching. Uh, huge crowds have come. This happens often when Jesus teaches. People just start showing up. And uh, sometimes he's healing them and teaching, and sometimes it's overwhelming, and they're trying to figure out what to do. With days wearing on, the disciples are getting fidgety. What do we do with all these people? I mean, imagine you were having a barbecue, and suddenly everyone in the neighborhood showed up, and you look over and go, we're running out of burgers. Are we going to get more burgers? Do we send them home? What, you know, what, and then suddenly the whole town's coming. They keep coming. They keep coming, and your barbecue is going, and the propane's leaking. And, you know, you need to do something about it. So the disciples are a bit fidgety, understandably. The people are hungry for Jesus' teaching. But now they're physically hungry as well. And how can on earth can they be expected to feed all the people, right? Should they send them away? What should they do? That seems like an easy answer. And remarkably, when they explain it to Jesus, what does he say? Look at verse 13. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. What's happening? What's going on? Well, if you look up at the top of the chapter, and I think this is why I, I like that we had a key through the whole chapter, most of the chapter for us. 
Verses 1 to 6, that first part of the chapter, Jesus sends out the disciples, right, to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And they're to go without staff or money or, you know, a backpack full of clothes and whatnot. They don't go with a cell phone, they don't bring their laptops. They just kind of go. And most notably, they go without food. Right? They don't they don't pack a lunch. And so the scene kind of leaves us wondering, well, where's the food going to come from? And the answer is implied, well, they're going to be fed based on the hospitality of the people they stay with. Right? It will depend on the hospitality of others. And that's how they'll be fed. And you know, who really provides sustenance in the end? It's going to be God. They're going to have to trust in God's provision to have the food they need to get through this missions trip. They're going to have to uh, you know, rely on the hospitality of others. So what's so interesting here is now the tables have turned, right? Now the crowds have come to Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. Right? The disciples now are the ones expected to serve. They're expected now to become the hosts of the meal. And Jesus challenges them to return the, the favor of hospitality that was extended to them. Now he asks them to do it, and they don't know what to do. They can't do it. They can't provide for the needs of the world. Friends, how very, very true this is. That we need to sit back and realize in our own world, no amount of hard work that I do uh, can satisfy the hunger that I have to be loved and to be whole and to be healed and to find true life. I can't provide for the hungers in my own life and for the hungers of the world around me clamoring for answers and for truth. I can't do it on my own. I know this because anytime I try and do this on my own, anytime I try and be the best husband I can be on my own, be the best father I can be on my own, or try to pastor the church well on my own, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No amount of me being the best person I can be, no amount of me believing in myself, you know, will overcome the obstacles that are in my own life. Uh, because the problem is not out there. The problem is myself. I'm my own worst enemy. The line of thinking that, well, if we just follow our hearts, just believe in yourself, it'll all work out. Friends, it's a lie. I can't fulfill my own deepest longings. And I can't save myself. And neither can you. I know this because if the culture says to me, if you just believe in yourself, there's no God to worry about, there's no moral standard by which to live, then I have to ask, why are our suicide rates so high? Why have our divorce rates skyrocketed? Where do we get the idea that it's okay to kill each other? I, I listened to a really good interview uh, following all the conversation in the states about gun control, right, since this recent shooting. Wherever you are in that issue, uh, it's kind of beside the point. Because this uh, speaker was making the point that regardless of whether we have, in the states, more control with the guns or less control with the guns, there's a deeper issue that needs to be addressed. And the issue is there's something wrong morally 
the imagination of a society that thinks it's okay to take the life of someone else, whether you see done or not, it's not, is an issue. But if you are predisposed to think it's going to be okay, I just take out whoever's in my way, you'll find some way to do that. There's something deeper to get at. That's the problem of human evil. And until we can address that, uh, there'll always be these, these huge problems in our society. So it's very true, folks. We, we can't save ourselves. And like the disciples, we can't provide for the crowds in our own world, for the hungers in our own world that we see all around us. But Christ calls us here, folks, to find our meaning and our personhood and our identity in himself and in his healing love. He doesn't leave us hungry. He actually satisfies our deepest hungers. The disciples are hungry, the crowds are hungry, Herod's hungry, we're hungry, friends, we're hungry for answers to the brokenness in our world, we're hungry for justice in a world that's full of violence, uh, we're hungry for a world uh, to be filled with love and not with lust. Do you know one-third of the internet's pornography? One-third of the internet's pornography. We live in a world that's hungry for truth and full of love. We really need Jesus. You can have all this world by giving Jesus. How does Jesus respond? Will he do something about the tangible physical hunger of the people, but will he also answer that question, who are you? And the answer is yes. He'll respond to <coughs> yes. He'll provide an answer to the question of who he is. So instead of ignoring the crowds, what happens? Jesus is filled with compassion. And he decides to provide for them. Take a look at verse 14. There's about 5,000 men. So there's more than 5,000, right? I don't know. There's a lot. There's probably 10,000. Easy. We're not counting the women and the children. It's a lot. He said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. In English, it's, it's easy to overlook this. It's Jesus. It's a relatively simple command. Have them sit down and use about 50. But if, if you look at the word choice, this was, I didn't know this, but I kind of did some study on it. Um, the, the Greek for the sitting down is the same word you'd use if uh, you were going to go sit down at a meal, uh, like at someone's house. It's kind of a reclining posture that you use when you're invited uh, to like a festive gathering. So it's a little bit more than Jesus just asking everyone, hey, like, go have seen on the grass, and we're going to pitch something. He's actually inviting them as guests to a meal. He's, he's changed the relationship, where at first he's kind of teacher, and they're you know, listening, they're students. Now he's saying, actually, I'm going to be the host, and you're going to be the guests. I now invited you to a meal. And it's like he's transformed uh, what was a, a context for teaching. Now he's turned it into like a restaurant. It's like he said... Okay, your dinner's ready, and have a seat. He's, he's specifically saying, I'm going to provide a meal. Somehow, I'm going to provide for all of you. And the disciples bring what little they have. Uh, verse 15, 16, right? Five loaves and two fish. And Jesus takes it. Uh, he says a blessing over it. He breaks the loaves. He gives it to the disciples. Uh, and they all eat, and they're all satisfied, which is remarkable. Incredible. Uh, 
And it's good that we talk about what a brilliant miracle this is. I mean, it's completely beyond human understanding. But I think there's another point here that's really interesting for us, and uh, it's this. The disciples bring what little they have, and Jesus takes it and blesses it, and with it feeds thousands. And I'm reminded in my own brokenness that Jesus takes what little you and I have to offer, and he can transform it and uh, buy it, feed all sorts of people. Jesus can take, uh, can take what little you have in your own life and use it for his glory. Uh, by his power and his life. And, and so he, he takes us who sometimes feel really faithless and he can take what little faith we feel we have and he can transform us into faith-filled people. Or he can take what little love you feel you have some days and he can transform you into a more loving person. Jesus doesn't look for people who have lots to offer. He looks for people who are willing to surrender. He's looking for people that will give what little they have, and trusting in him, uh, turning it over to him, he will somehow transform and use it for his greatness and for his glory. That is so, so encouraging. But I don't have to find all the answers for myself, and I don't need to try and drum up something to, to make my life work. I can come as broken and as humble and as needy as I am and just say, Lord, here's what little I have. Would you take what little I feel I have to offer in my life and use it for your glory somehow? And Jesus will take that and he'll honor that, that request. And through your life, however broken or small or insignificant you might feel, he will use that to, to transform his world, uh, to bring people to his glory and to his salvation. That's really encouraging. But even as he does it, as he takes the loaves and the fish and blesses them, gives them, and the miracle occurs, which is brilliant, uh, we discover also the answer to that question, the who is Jesus question that everyone's been asking. And if you're sitting there as a Jewish person, I think it would probably hit you sooner that we do and remove from it culturally. I think it would hit them almost right away if you ask, well, who provides bread in the desolate place? Where in your story, as Jewish people, have you been without in a place of desolation and someone's providing bread? It's the Exodus, right? It's the Exodus. It's the man in the wilderness. Jesus is saying by having them sit down and bringing the food and multiplying it and feeding them all. They're all in this wilderness place. They're all hungry. He's saying, you've seen this before. You know who I am. He's Yahweh. This is God himself. There's only one who can forgive sin. There's only one who can calm the storm. There's only one who provides the bread in the wilderness place. It's the God himself, the true and living God. <coughs> Jesus says, it's me. It's me. And that's why right after this, right after the feeding of the 5,000, what's he do? He asks the disciples, who am I? Because now they know. Right? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some are saying Elijah. We don't know where to fit him, right? He's some kind of prophet, maybe? Yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter gets it. 
He knows. Because only God can forgive sin. Only God can still the storm. And only God provides the food for the wilderness. Because you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Jesus goes on from that passage. We don't, we don't get into it. We didn't read it this morning. But he goes on to then radically change their ideas of what Messiah means. For them, they think maybe it's a national leader. Maybe it's someone who will you know, bring us out from under Rome. And he says, actually, this is about me dying. And he makes it about the cross. Jesus shows us his compassion, he, he shows us his provision, he shows us how he can take what little we have and transform it and use it to change his world. Uh, but he also answers the question of his identity. Who is Jesus? And he says, I am God himself, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I come personally among you to save you, to come into relationship with you. That's what I'm here to do. So the first point is that people are hungry, they're physically hungry, but they're also hungry for the, the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Uh, in the same way, we're all hungry, right? To know meaning, to know identity, to know that we're loved, uh, to be fed, <laughs> to feel whole. But the second point, the host, Jesus addresses the hunger of the crowd, but he also addresses the hungers of the world, your hunger and my hunger. Uh, he's the host in the wilderness place. And he's the one who says, I can provide for you in the desolation in your own life, the places that feel barren in your own life, I can provide for you. This was God himself. And friends, God invites you this morning into his love and his hospitality. He, he extends that same call to each and every one of us to come and meet with him, to find salvation, to find healing, to find grace in him. And stop trying to figure it out on our own. And now the third point, which is which is which is quicker, is hospitality. Uh, we're we're hungry. We're hungry people. And in Christ, our hungers are satisfied and met, and we can feel fed and whole and saved in Him. Uh, but He then calls us to live in a new way. We've met the host. And now we're invited into his hospitality. He calls us, folks, to love our neighbor. Uh, Lauren Winner puts it this way. She says, Jesus has given us a place to live. He's nourished us with the gift of creation, meaning the, the bread. He's given us his very self. So we're then called to offer ourselves as the body of Christ to others. We're called to invite people into our homes. We're called to love them when we'd rather not sometimes. And uh, Jesus' Jesus's, uh, response to the crowds is still right. He says to the disciples, will you give them something to eat? He's not wrong. Jesus now calls us as the church to be the ones to extend his goodness and his grace and his mercy and to proclaim that into the world. We're the ones that can share that message to a world that's hungry. You give them something to eat, and we point them to Jesus. Folks, Jesus is the one who knows your hungers and your longing and your brokenness, and he's come to take all of that, all of the sin, all of the evil, and take it upon himself die in its place so you can be whole and healed and forgiven and alive and loved. So I'm going to ask as I wrap this up, uh, where are you today? 
What are you hungry for? Uh, what are you longing for? Is it a restored marriage? Is it uh, reconciliation with a family member? Maybe your children? Uh, is it issues you have at school or at work? Um, is it something you're going through? I don't know. You fill in the blank. What are you hungry for? What are you longing for? Um, what, what, what do you wish was happening in your own life that, that you, you yearn for? Are you longing to feel freedom from maybe the guilt or the shame that you carry? That you know in Christ uh, you feel you shouldn't be feeling and yet you still carry that. I invite you to come to Jesus. He's the one that provides the food in the barren place. He's the one that uh, by faith gives us forgiveness and life and wholeness. And so we can come like the crowds in this passage, hungry for answers, hungry for truth, and he's the one who will provide. Maybe you're going through a medical issue in your life, or someone you know is really sick, and you are hungry just to be reminded of the fact that God holds this one in his hands and he cares for them. He is present to heal, and he's present by his love, whatever happens. Uh, I need to be reminded of that sometimes. So friends, may we, may we know him as that compassionate host. Uh, may you know him as the one who can provide for you. Uh, the crowds didn't have to sit down. They didn't have to respond. And the choice in the same way is for you. You can choose to come to Jesus or you can choose to walk away. Uh, I can assure you that if you walk away, for a time it may feel like you figure it out on your own. Uh, but that will eventually catch up to you. Jesus is the Lord. He's the only one who can forgive sin. He's the only one that can still the storm. He's the only one that can provide food in the barren place. So if you're feeling there's a barren place in your life, or you're feeling there's a storm, or you're feeling you just need that reassurance of forgiveness, um, as I pray, I'm going to invite you to uh, pray with me. And, and bear those things on your heart as we come to the Lord together. Uh, I'm going to pray. I think, why don't you guys come up and pass the worship team to play uh, that Give Me Jesus song again as we close. Uh, why don't we stand and uh, let's, let's just bring these things to the Lord. But I ask you to consider in your own heart what are the things I'm most hungry for? And uh, what do you need from Jesus? So interesting throughout the Gospels, there's moments where it seems so obvious that Jesus should kind of know what a person needs, and yet he still asks, what would you like me to do? And so this morning, as we pray, I hear the voice of Jesus who says, 